Gonzaga has a chance to exact some revenge on LMU after they beat them in the kennel last year, but a former Zag will be doing all that he can to stop them. Let's break it all down on today's Locked On Zags podcast. You are Locked On Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. going on y'all welcome into the locked on zags podcast part of the locked on podcast network your team every day i'm your host and longtime gonzaga podcaster andy Patton, here to bring you news and updates on all things zag athletics today's episode of locked on zags is brought to you by fanduel make every moment more folks right now new customers can get 200 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place a five dollar bet visit fanduel.com slash locked on today to get started All right, on today's show, we got a preview of tonight's game against LMU, 8 p.m. Pacific time. So get your coffee ready in the afternoon for this one. We also got five keys to a Gonzaga victory to make sure that what happened last year when LMU came to Spokane does not happen again. We'll get to that. We'll also talk about the women's team. They fell in the AP poll. We're going to talk about what the heck is going on with this team's slide in the AP poll and what is coming up next for Lisa Fortier's team. But we're going to start previewing this game tonight again, 8 p.m. at the McCarthy Athletic Center. Uh, It will be on ESPN. No need to deal with ESPN Plus or Root Sports. This is on the big network, so that is a relief for those who've been trying to find where to watch some of these Gonzaga games. It sounds like Sean Farnham and Dave Fleming will be on the call for both this game and Saturday's game at the Kennel against the Gales of St. Mary's. Of course, the Zags lost to LMU last year in Spokane. It was the first time they had lost in Spokane to LMU since 1991. We've seen a couple streaks like that in jeopardy or broken. Of course, Santa Clara's win was a big one for the Broncos and San Francisco very nearly beat Gonzaga for the first time since 1989 in Spokane. Can. Of course, Gonzaga was able to wrangle their way out and pull off a victory there. I talked about this being a revenge game because it is the return of LMU to Spokane. It is worth acknowledging that Gonzaga already got some catharsis. They already got a little bit of revenge from this game. They played them a month later at LMU and beat them by 42 points. So this Gonzaga team was a little pissed off last year after losing. We'll see if they still have some of that energy. Uh, Gonzaga has had a lot of success against LMU over the last 20 years, as they have against everybody that they have played in the WCC. They're 37-4 and against LMU since 2003. That is when the data goes back on Gonzaga's website. 19-1 and at home with that loss being last year, 15-3 and on the road. Let's talk a little bit about this Lions team, 10-11 and Overall on the season, three and four in the WCC. Not a lot of great wins on the resume for LMU up to this point. They beat UNLV. That's a decent win. UNLV in the Mountain West Conference. The WCC has struggled against the Mountain West this year, so it was nice for LMU to pick up a victory there. UNLV is not a particularly great team in the Mountain West. They did beat Creighton earlier this year. That was a really nice victory for them, so they do have a, a, a signature win on their resume, but I think they're seventh, eighth, something like that in the Mountain West, not really an at-large contender right now for an NCAA tournament spot. Uh, The rest of the wins for LMU, though, are just not significant. Florida International, UTEP, Detroit Mercy, one of the worst teams in college basketball at Ken Palm, Jackson State, who Gonzaga played earlier this year in the SWAC conference. 
losses for them. Uh, they lost to Yale in the second game of the season. The, the Yale played uh, LMU shortly after they played Gonzaga, and LMU was not able to get a victory there. They also have losses to Oakland, Stephen F. Austin, Tarleton State, and then a couple other Mountain West uh, loss, a couple Mountain West losses. They lost at Nevada. That's a tough game right there. No shame in losing that one. They also lost to Colorado State, who has been ranked up until recently when they've struggled getting into Mountain West play. In conference play, LMU's victories are over Pacific, Pepperdine, and Portland, all three teams you would expect that LMU would be able to defeat. They have lost twice to St. Mary's. They've already gotten their two games against the Gales out of the way. Uh, those losses were by four and five points. The first loss uh, in particular, the, the LMU really had a chance. Unfortunately, Dom, Dominic Harris, we'll talk about him quite a bit in a second. He he stumbled on the way to the basket and it ended up being a turnover they fouled. And that was the result of a four-point win for LMU. But the, if Dom had been able to get to the hoop there, he might've been able to tie it. And, and who knows what would have happened in that situation. But they played SMC very, very well. They did lose at San Francisco by 16, so didn't have a particularly competitive game there, uh, but have had those two tough games against the Gales. Ken Palm currently has them as the 148th ranked team in college basketball. They are 129th in adjusted offensive efficiency. That drops to 199th in adjusted defensive efficiency. Tempo-wise, this is a slow, slow pace team, 276th in the country, according to Ken Palm's tempo data. So they're not getting up and down the floor particularly fast. They're going to be a slow it down, half court paced offense. Lots of teams in the WCC attempt to do that. Obviously, St. Mary's is the most notable. I looked them up for fun. They're 357th. That is basically last in the entire country uh, in terms of tempo. So uh, LMU, not quite that slow in how they how they run their offense, but they do like to slow it down. They like to play possession basketball where they're limiting the other team's opportunities to score while trying to be a more efficient offensive team. And they have been able to do that at times, despite a mediocre record, despite a mediocre record in conference play in particular. Uh, they're a pretty good three-point shooting team, and teams that can slow you down and shoot well, that's a decent recipe for success. That's a decent recipe for an upset. It starts with LMU, with the player Gonzaga fans are most familiar with on the roster, and that's Dominic Harris. Dominic Harris is this leading is leading this team in scoring 14.7 points per game, three and a half boards. He's averaging 1.1 assists and 1.9 turnovers per game. He started the season coming off the bench, has pushed his way to the starting lineup. And, and kind of what happened with LMU, and I spoke about this with Zach Farmer on his uh, unofficial WCC Hoops podcast. Highly recommend checking out that show, by the way, if you have not. It is excellent stuff. Zach has, does a really good job covering the entire West Coast Conference. And, and him and I spoke uh, earlier today about – LMU just acquired a bunch of guards in the transfer portal. They, they, they needed to replace their entire backcourt. They acquired four, I think, four different guards and said, we're going to figure out who's going to play out of this mess. And Dom has emerged as the player, the best player on the, out of that group, or at least the best scorer out of that group. Justice Hill is a very good passer. He's averaging over four assists, under two turnovers per game. So he's he's kind of fit in a really valuable role for them as a scorer. Will Johnston's a very a solid player as well. But Dom, Dom is the guy. Dom shooting 43.3% from the field, or excuse me, from three, but only 42.6% from the field overall. So he's not a particularly effective two-point scorer. He's not been great at, at his efficiency around the rim, but he is a lights-out three-point shooter. And that is going to be what he brings to the table for LMU. He's also going to be juiced. There's going to be some energy in the building because of this. Uh, he, you know, I wanted to play more at Gonzaga, felt he deserved a, a bigger shot at playing time and left in part because of that. We don't know all the details and I'm not going to put words in his mouth or anything like that. But I think there's going to be some 
we'll call it energy uh, for Dom, for his family, for his friends who, who feel like he really wants to kind of show Gonzaga what he's made of. And I don't blame him. I think that's fun. I think that it's, it kind of adds an excitement, exciting element to this game, obviously, provided there's no disrespect, you know, in any way, which I don't think that there will be. I think it kind of adds a fun element to the game, but he's going to be alone and he's going to be the player that Gonzaga is going to have to focus on, not just because of his history, but because he is the, the player that is going to make or break whether LMU is able to pull off this uh, this upset. Like I said, they're a 36% shooting team overall from three. They average about 74-ish points per game. Uh, they're 75th in the country in three-point percentage. Uh, so they, they shoot it well. Now it's Dom and Will Johnston, who's 38.5%. And then I mentioned Justice Haley's about 35%. Everybody else is under 33. So they have three good shooters. Kelly Lu- Leo Pepe, who's been there for what feels like a really long time. He is not very efficient this year, but he is a guy who can stretch the floor and knock it down and can present some matchup issues. Uh, the issue for LMU is primarily on the defensive end of the floor. They do not force turnovers. They're one of the worst teams in the entire country at forcing turnovers. They don't do it very often. That We'll talk about that more in terms of the keys to the game, but that's a huge part of, of how Gonzaga can, can pull off a victory here. Uh, they also have two seven-foot-one centers, so they do have some size. One of them is Rick Asanza, who had a huge role in Gonzaga's loss to LMU last year. However, Asanza has not played since January 6th, so it's possible he may not be suited up for LMU in this one. If that's the case, that limits them to just seven foot one center Lars Thiemann. He's a transfer from Cal. He's been good this year, a little under seven points, about four boards. He's not a shot blocker, though. Less than a block per game in 20 minutes, despite being seven foot one and playing in the WCC. So, uh, not not a guy who's a, a super impactful player defensively for Cal. But again, last year or for for Cal for LMU, but last year LMU's bigs who weren't super productive had really really good games against Gonzaga, and that led to the win. So that's going to absolutely be a key, and it's going to come down to Graham Ike. Graham Ike has been absolutely dominant in the last few games, especially in the second half. The big key for him in this one is can he bring it for a full 40 minutes? And we're going to discuss that and more coming up after a word from today's sponsor, FanDuel. The Super Bowl matchup is officially here, and there is still time to get in on the action with FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Because right now, new customers can get $200 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place a $5 bet. That's $200 in your pocket, win or lose. The FanDuel app is super easy to use. There are so many ways to bet. You can use the live same-game parlays. You can find bets in the new Explore tab, or you can make a parlay in the very popular Parlay Hub. Right now, the Gonzaga women, we're going to talk about them at the end of the show. They are getting disrespected not only by the AP poll, but FanDuel has them at 24,000 to 1 odds. They're 13th in the net, and they have 24,000 to 1 odds to win the national championship. $5 bet nets you 1,200. Just something to think about there. If you're interested in getting involved in that action, visit FanDuel.com slash locked on and make your first bet a layup. FanDuel, an official partner of the NFL. All right, folks, segment two here. Still any patent, still locked on Zach's podcast. Still getting you ready for Tuesday night's game, 8 p.m. Those of you on the East Coast, shout out to my New York listeners. I met a handful of you back uh, at the USC game in uh, December. And it's 11 p.m. tip, so hopefully you got some late coffee. You can find some bodegas out there to, to keep you energized because this is a late, late tip. We're going to go through our five keys here to a victory for Gonzaga. Again, we've been talking about uh, for a lot of games, it's kind of just here's what I want to see. From this team, but lately, since Gonzaga is not really guaranteed to beat anybody in the WCC the way they've been playing, we're talking more about here's what I think they need to do to make sure that they leave this game with a W. Key number one 
take care of the basketball. And LMU, sixth worst team in the country at forcing turnovers. This is using Ken Palm's data. He does turnovers per possessions. And effectively, I know LMU slows it down a lot and that there's limited possessions, but even in the limited amount of possessions that they get, the rate that they force the opposing team to turn the basketball over is microscopic. 357th in the country. They do not force turnovers. They're the fifth worst in the in overall forcing turnovers. They're also fifth worst at generating steals. And they are 324th. I didn't count backwards for that one, but they're 324th in the country in blocks. Not getting steals, not getting blocks, not forcing turnovers. For Gonzaga, you have to make sure that you don't make that easy for them. No easy turnovers. I know it's easy to criticize Ryan Nempard because he's when he makes turnovers, they're the most obvious and visible. It's worth acknowledging that in the last two games, he has had five assists and five turnovers. That is a far, far cry from the previous three games when he had 25 assists and zero turnovers. That is what needs to change in this game. He cannot be handing the basketball back to LMU because they're going to play a slow possession style basketball game. And the more times they get their hands on the basketball, the more times Gonzaga doesn't get a possession with a shot the less likely they are to, to win. I mean, that's kind of basketball 101, but for this style that LMU plays, like the fact that they don't force turnovers is a, a big weakness for them. You know, you look at St. Mary's and, and the style that they play, the slow pace, high efficient offense, like part of it is that they've forced the other team into turnovers. LMU's not doing that. Ryan Nembhard needs to get back to that eight, 10 assists per game, zero turnovers, what we saw from him against Pepperdine, what we saw from him against San Diego. This LMU team's a better team, but hey, he didn't turn the ball over against Santa Clara either. So there's an absolute avenue to success for Ryan Nemhard. It's not just him. The rest of the team needs to avoid turnovers too, but we're going we're gonna to mention Nemhard specifically as the guy with the ball in his hands for probably the entire 40 minutes for this basketball game uh, on Tuesday. Key number two, Graham E.K. Early Graham E.K. often. Graham E.K. forever. That's how I wrote it in my notes. That's how we're saying it here on the Locked On Zag show. Uh, part of this for Graham is avoiding early fouls. This has been an issue for Graham E.K. It has been an issue for Anton Watson. Yes, Gonzaga has depth in the front court. They have four legitimate bigs who all play key rotation minutes, but they start three of them. So you need to be able to, you can't have Anton Watson going to the bench with 14 minutes left in the first half, which is what he did against, I think it was, I think it was the Pacific game. One of the two games they played, he did that. Graham E.K. went to the bench with 16 minutes to go in the first half. He, he had committed 2,004 minutes. That is a huge part of this. Cannot happen. Cannot, cannot, cannot happen. Because Graham E.K. has been doing all this dominance in the second half, but it'd be great if he did it early. Do it right away. Put LMU's defense in a position of strain right off the right out of the bat. Because I don't know if they're going to double. That's something I'm curious about. My suspicion is yes. Why wouldn't you? I don't know why any team is watching this tape and not double teaming Graham EK immediately. If Gonzaga beats you, which they're capable of, Graham has, has improved as a passer. If he can swing it out, if they can swing the ball around, get a drive to the basket, get an easy bucket that way. If Graham can find Anton for an easy bucket under the rim, or if Gonzaga can swing it out and actually start hitting some threes, if that happens, then LMU pulls back and starts single coverage and makes Graham beat him over the top, which frankly he's probably going to do even against a seven foot one defender because he's really, really good at scoring uh, in isolation on the block. But I think LMU is going to try to double team him. 
And what I want to see from Graham is getting that ball out of those double teams, not turning it over and making the LMU's defense kind of scramble to catch back up while Gonzaga hopefully gets themselves some easier shots around the rim. That's going to be a huge key for me is, is how Graham plays and, and hopefully seeing more than just a second half run from him and seeing him do it for, for the entirety of the game. Key number three, Zach's got to dominate on the glass, not just win on the glass. They need to dominate on the glass. Rebounding has been an issue amongst a handful of other issues that we saw from Gonzaga these last couple of games, uh, late game execution, free throw shooting, various other things that were problems, foul trouble, like we mentioned. Uh, Gonzaga got out-rebounded, and that's a that's a big problem. This team starts three centers, three bigs, I should say. I guess Watson and Greg are not centers. But they start three front court players, clearly three front court players, and they're getting out-rebounded. Chris Gerlison, when he came on the podcast, the San Francisco head coach, he was like, I don't know how we're going to out-rebound this team. Like, that's a big concern that he had is how are we going to be able to, to beat this team on the glass? Well, they did. And shout out to him for finding a way to do it. But that's a problem for Gonzaga that they need to address. LMU has some size. They have the two seven-footers. They have Leia Pepe. Like, they, again, that's if Asanza plays. Even if he doesn't play, they have uh, they have Thiemann. They have, Asan, or they have uh, Leia Pepe, excuse me. They have some size. And if they are getting second-chance points, for a team that plays that slow pace, that's a problem for Gonzaga because they'll take 28 seconds, shoot the shot, miss the shot, get an offensive rebound, set it back up, start again. That really, that slow pace prevents Gonzaga from getting into a rhythm offensively. It's frustrating for the defense to have to play really hard for an entire minute. It tires them out in a way that makes offense harder to generate. Like there are a lot of issues for it. There is there is no reason a three big lineup for Gonzaga should not be out rebounding every team that they're playing, especially in the WCC. There's no reason. No, no, no reason whatsoever. They need to go out and dominate on the glass. Don't give LMU second chance opportunities. Get yourself second chance opportunities. If you miss that first possession, go get the bo- get the basketball and get another shot up. Because again, LMU's they're you know they they're not going to force you into a lot of turnovers. So if you're missing those shots, you got to get a second chance. You got to get opportunities to try to score again. I think rebounding, as it is in so many basketball games, is particularly key and has been a, an area of weakness for Gonzaga uh, the last couple of weeks. Key number four, Zag's got to keep their composure. This is an emotional game. It's an emotional game because Gonzaga lost to LMU last year in the kennel. Granted, not many of the players were there on that team for that, but a few of them will, were certainly. Uh, you have Anton Watson, you have Ben Gregg, you have Nolan Hickman. Braden Huff was not on the, playing, but he was on the roster in that situation. Like you, there, are, there are players who are here who remember that. And then you have Dom's return. And same situation, they're all former teammates of his, those four players. Uh, they're friends of his. Uh, you know, I don't know anything that's happened in the, in the back end, of course, of that. But it's hard to play against your, your friends, play against somebody who's not on the team anymore, who you know is coming in and, and desperately wanting to beat you. And, and like it's an emotional, it's a highly charged emotional environment uh, for the players, for, for the LMU players, for the Gonzaga players, for the coaching staffs, for the fans. Like it's an emotional environment. And for Gonzaga, they have to keep their composure. Because LMU's got nothing to lose. They're coming into this looking to go 2-0 and in the last two years of the kennel. Like, they're already 3-4 and four in the conference. Like, they're, they're winner, you know, win the WCC tournament or go home. Like, they, they got nothing to lose. But Gonzaga, this is a big game for them. This is a huge game for them. And they're, I, I, I don't want them to feel that pressure, but they're going to be aware of it. And so they have to be able to find ways to keep their composure. LMU can shoot it. If they have a possession where they waste 28 seconds, get a shot up, miss it, grab the rebound, waste 25 seconds, and hit a three – and, you know, Dom makes the shot and he's emotional and he's yelling and screaming. Gonzaga has to find ways to not react too strongly to that. 
because that's what they're trying to do. Like that's, that's, there's nothing wrong with them doing that. That's great. But that's what Gonzaga has to avoid falling into a trap where they then try to push the pace too much. And Nembhard throws the ball away because he's trying to, he's a little too frantic trying to get the ball to somebody. And the former Gonzaga teams haven't really struggled with this. And this year's team does. And I think part of it is just a camaraderie thing. They're just, they haven't played together all that much. I think they're feeling more pressure from, from everybody, just from this team not being as good as they've been in the past. And I think it's a strain that we're seeing impact some of the guys' performance on the floor. And, and this is the kind of game where there could be a, a, a big charge emotionally in this game. And, and Gonzaga has to avoid letting that detract, distract them from, from the ultimate goal, which is just to win the basketball game. And then key number five, somewhat similar. Zags can't look ahead. Saturday, they got St. Mary's. St. Mary's coming to the house, the McCarthy Athletic Center. It's going to be an absolute blast on ESPN. Huge game in a a season where both teams are fighting for potential at-large consideration, where both teams know that the WCC tournament is going to be really, really, really impactful and that St. Mary's has a chance to do something that hasn't been done since the 1990s and knocking off Gonzaga. And it's going to be supercharged on Saturday. But Gonzaga cannot think about that. And I think Mark Few, among the many things he does well, this is something I think he's always really preached and really kind of hammered home of like, hey, we take it one game at a time. We don't think about the next opponent until we're done with the game that we got. And I think for Gonzaga, that's especially because there is an added kind of element of this game, you know, being the team they lost to last year and Dom's return. I I don't think that this is as likely to happen to Gonzaga just because of those extra environments and, and elements. But it's a key for especially the players who maybe aren't as weren't as invested in last year's team than Ryan Nembhard, the Grammy case, the Dusty Stromers, like for them to, to not be thinking about same areas, to be focused on the future and like really focus on this game and getting a W here because it's a really critical one for the Zags. Well, Lisa Fortier's team dropped. They dropped from 17 to 19 in the AP poll, despite beating the best team in the conference on the road by 38 points. Why are they getting so disrespected? We're going to talk about that after a word from today's sponsor, Jace Medical. I know we come to sports to escape from some of the crazy realities of life, but can we take for a minute about preparing for real life? Because according to the FDA, pharmacies are running out of antibiotics like amoxicillin right in the middle of one of the worst flu seasons in over a decade. And I can't imagine a more helpless feeling than if someone I loved got sick while a supply chain issue kept them from the life-saving medication that they needed. Thankfully, though, there's Jace Medical. The Jace case is a pack of five different life-saving antibiotics to treat a long list of bacterial illnesses, including respiratory infections, skin infections, and others. This stuff could happen to literally any one of us. So visit jacemedical.com and complete your physician encounter. It will be reviewed by a board-certified physician, and your medication will be dispensed by a licensed pharmacy at a fraction of the regular cost. It has never been more important to be prepared than today. So go to jacemedical.com and use offer code LOCKEDON for $20 off your order. Folks, closing out the show today, talking about Lisa Fortier and the Lady Zags. They fell two spots from 17 in the AP poll last week. Went 2-0 last week. Dominated. Dominated Santa Clara. 82-45 to was the final score against the Broncos. They went, then went to San Francisco, took on the Dons, 73-54. to 38-point win, 19-point victory on the road. Come back the next week, they fall two spots in the AP poll. I don't know what else you could possibly ask of them to do. <laughs> like, like I, I don't know how, like I get that, like it shouldn't just be, oh, you went, you know, you went 2-0, you automatically move up. But like, how are they moving down? I know Oregon State jumped them. They got a big win. Like I, I, I do understand how poll making goes and I understand that it's not just as black and white as that. But like, 
they, this team was at 16 a few weeks ago. They dropped three spots, and they continue to dominate and dominate and dominate. Meanwhile, Stanford, the team they beat earlier this year, they climbed from six to four. Louisville, the team that they lost to earlier this year, they climbed all the way up to 16. They were 19. So Louisville's climbing spots. Stanford's climbing spots. Wazoo went from having three votes last week to 15 votes this week. That's Gonzaga's other loss. So the teams that Gonzaga has played this year are moving up, which should, in theory, strengthen Gonzaga's resume. And yet they're falling, continuing to fall. They only have two losses on the year to, to Louisville. Like we said, they're up to 16. To Wazoo, who got votes there were 27th technically. They got the second most votes for non-ranked teams. They beat that Stanford team, and, like, and they're falling. It's, what else can they do? I get that they're in a conference that's not good. It's, I get it. I understand that. You understand that. Like it's, it's not rocket science. The WCC on the women's side in particular is very, very weak this year. Very weak. But I think Gonzaga is getting punished for their margin of victory. Like they're beating teams so badly that people's perception, AP voters in particular, their perception is that, wow, these teams must be so bad. And that makes Gonzaga worse. I just don't buy it. I don't If they were narrowly beating teams in the WCC and falling in the AP poll, I would honestly understand that. I get that. If Gonzaga, if Gonzaga gets a five-point victory, three-point victory, one-point victory over a team outside the top 150 in the net, sure. And then you're kind of close between two teams. and You're like, okay, I'll bump somebody else ahead of them because they got a better win or uh, they got a bit better margin of victory or whatever. That's fine. But Gonzaga's blasting these teams. And I, I, I genuinely think that People are it's, it's kind of a, an argument that's been used against the men's team a lot, and it's been used against the women's team too. Of like, Gonzaga does poorly or loses, and it's like, wow, they lost to a really bad team. Gonzaga wins and they win by a lot, and it's like, wow, that team must be really bad. Like, there's never any consideration for Gonzaga. It's just all the teams they play are garbage, and that means that if they win, it doesn't matter, and if they lose, it's terrible. And that's just not a fair way to look at it. And I think it's unfortunate. Like, does the AP poll in late January really matter? No. No, it doesn't. The difference between them being 16th and them being 19th is marginal. And at this point, it's all about just continuing to win, win the WCC tournament, get yourself a, a favorable seat in March. But like, it's going to be a bummer if Gonzaga blasts through the rest of the season, doesn't lose a game, and gets a six seed when they deserve a four. Like that, I, I'm I'm annoyed that that is a possibility that that could happen to this team for, through no fault of their own. Certainly if they lose in the WCC tournament and they get knocked down a seed or two, fine. I understand that. That's what happened last year. They got knocked all the way down to a nine seed, which felt a little extreme, but then they lost in the first round. Fine. All that's fine. But this year's team is obliterating everybody that they're playing. Yvonne Eachum is playing like a legitimate All-American candidate. She has been absolutely, unquestionably, unbelievable. And the fact that the teams that they're playing are dropping in the net is hurting Gonzaga in a way that that doesn't impact other teams in the same way. And I, I just, it's, it's hard to see because this team is, if you watch them play, they're so good. They're so methodical. They're so deep. They're so experienced. It's not just Yvonne. They have great outside shooters. Brenda Maxwell had a really good game this weekend. The Trung twins have been fantastic all season long. Eliza Hollinsworth has been great. Like this team is fantastic. And I think that they are a top 20 team in the country. And I think they're a top 15 team in the country. And they're barely even getting the attention that they deserve in that conversation and seeing them fall. I mean, in the net, like the net's a great example. They went from 16 to 13. The main system that, and not every not every AP voter follows the net religiously, but that's the main system that exists. Ken Palm doesn't have women's stats. Net is kind of the, the value system that ranks teams one to 362 in women's basketball. And Gonzaga's moving up there. 
They go from 16 to 13. They were 18 a few weeks ago. So they're jumping up there, yet the AP voters are not giving them the same respect and, in fact, are respecting them less and less as they continue to dominate. I just I just don't get it. We talked about the two easy wins, beat Santa Clara 82 to 45. Uh, Ejim had 19 and 13 on 9 of 16 shooting. Santa Clara shot just 2 of 16 from 3, 12.5% in that one. Uh, the next game, Gonzaga beat San Francisco on the road. Yvonne had 21 and 13, so she averaged 20 points and 13 boards. In those two games, she shot 9 of 13. In that one, Maxwell had 20 on 4 of 5 shooting from 3. The Zags did have 20 turnovers in that game against San Francisco, but USF shot just three of 20 from three. They were under 32% from the field. And yes, these teams are not great, but Gonzaga's consistently holding WCC opponents to under 33% from the field. That's not a coincidence. That's not these teams just happening to shoot poorly. Gonzaga's a really good defensive team. They're a really well-coached, disciplined team on both ends of the floor, and it's showing in these massive blowout victories. And again, I'll reiterate, they're not getting the credit that they deserve. Got two opportunities this week to pick up more big big wins. They got at San Diego on Thursday, then they're hosting Pacific uh, later in the week as well. Wanted to also shout out Coach Lisa Fortier. She was nominated as a Coach of the Year Award watch list finalist for the Kathy Delaney Smith Award. It is awarded to the top mid-major coach in all of college basketball. Hard to imagine it doesn't go to Coach Fortier. She's 18-2 and two this season, team's top 15 in the net. Like we said, Bunch of big wins. They got the win over Stanford, wins over Arizona, a handful of other big wins, Cal, Rice, et cetera, South Dakota State. Some good non-conference wins continuing to dominate in their conference. I, I fun, fa- fun fact that I saw in the article about this, Coach Fortier's 80.4% win rate, fifth among all active Division I coaches. She has been an extraordinary coach for this team for over 10 years now. This season is shaping up to be one of, if not her very best yet. And I hope sincerely that if it's not the AP voters, at least that the selection committee uh, gets this thing right when they're seeding Gonzaga in March. That's going to wrap it up for us today here on the Locked on Zags podcast. We will be back on Wednesday with a review of Gonzaga's game against LMU. We'll start to get you ready for the rest of the week, including that big one on Saturday against the Gales of St. Mary's. Thank you so much to those of you who have made this show your first listen or your first watch of the day. Appreciate every single one of you. Looking forward to seeing you later this week. Until then, as always, go Zags.